0: Hey, good morning, MRCC. Happy Mother's Day to you. This is a day of celebration in God's house. Let's thank you for his merciful grace. United as one, we praise you, Lord. Yes, I was buried beneath my shame, Who could carry that kind of a Till I've met you. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Oh, I was breathing but not alive. How we need you, Jesus. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my truth. Till I've met you. Yes, and you call my name. You call my name, and I ran out of that grave, yeah, out of the darkness into Your glorious day. You call my name, You call my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness. Glorious day, yeah. So stepping in, we're stepping in, Lord, and now your mercy has saved my soul. Hallelujah, Jesus. And I freed up is all that I know. called my name and I ran out of that grave out of that darkness into your glorious day yeah yeah when you count on your love no nothing can compare let's praise him church for his merciful love you are. I need a rescue my sin is heavy the chains break at the weight of your glory I need a shelter I wasn't your now you call me a citizen of heaven when I was broken you were my healing now you're open, so when you call my name, we shout this out church, I, I ran out of the, of the grave, grave.
1: Yeah.
0: out, out of, of the darkness, darkness. into your, your glorious day, cause yes, you call my name, you call my name, and I ran out of the of that grave. To you, glorious day. Can we give him praise, church? One, two, three, hey! Yes, we are to you. Oh, we are to you, Lord. Yes, Father, we thank you for this amazing grace. Father, we thank you for your heart. We respond to your goodness with a hallelujah, Lord. Because I raise a hallelujah. In the presence of my enemy, and I raise a hallelujah louder than the I believe. I raise a hallelujah. Hallelujah. As heaven comes to fight for me, this I've got to see. Hallelujah to you in the middle of the mystery. What more can we say but hallelujah? I raise a high. Sing a little louder We thank you for your presence, church. Our God is here in the midst. His sovereign hand is our guide. His merciful heart is our anchor. And church, he invites us to step out and to follow him. And it's here where we grasp the wonder of what it means to be his own. Because of the cross and the victory of Jesus, we are his. And we can say that he is ours. All we need is found in him. So in this moment of worship, let this be a personal moment here and now between you and the Lord. Cast your cares on him. Hold fast to him. Trust in him because he is enough. Amen? Yes, Father, we worship you for all that you are. so good yes father what is our prayer would you give us faith where we lack father fill us with your faithfulness God For great is your faithfulness we proclaim as your church yes, great is thy faithfulness oh God my father there Is no shadow of turning with thee, amen. Thou changes not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever. Can we just tell them now, church? Great is thy faithfulness, yes great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see all i have and love we tell you lord great is thy faithfulness amen great is thy faithfulness morning He says, Jesus. let reflect on these words. A party for sin and a peace that endureeth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to
1: guide
0: strength for today. Bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Proclaim your faithfulness, Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning.
1: Mercies,
0: I see it all. I.
2: Father God, this morning we give you thanks because you have proven yourself faithful again and again and again. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that you give us each day our daily bread, God. We thank you most of all, Jesus, that your grace on the cross transcends any sin, all our failures. And you call us your own sons and daughters. Not because of our faithfulness, but because of your faithfulness. We worship you, Lord. We praise you this morning. And God, especially today on this morning, we give thanks to you for the incredible gift of moms, of mothers, Lord, who who carry us in their bodies and bring us into the world, God, who give us their hearts as a reflection of your love for us. God, we praise you and we ask your deep and rich blessing on our moms today on Mother's Day. And we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's great to see you this morning, church. Welcome to second service. Not only those of us who are in the building, but everybody gathering with us online. We're thrilled that you're with us. Would you take a moment? Make sure everybody around you feels welcome. Take a chance. If it's a woman, say happy Mother's Day. Your, Your odds are good. Say happy Mother's Day to somebody.
3: it's finally happened you've moved out you're on your own congratulations but everyone still needs a little help sometimes mom have you seen my wallet it's in your back pocket no i checked there
2: your other back pocket dear
3: Ah, thanks mom introducing the mom personal assistant the only smart speaker device with all the wisdom caring and sage advice of a mother mom please call brad Honey, I'm just not sure he's right for you. Just call him. Okay, calling Ryan. No,
1: mom, I said call Brad. Trust me.
3: The mom PA always has your best interests in mind. Wish me luck, mom. Big interview today. Did you eat breakfast? Uh. Is that what you're wearing? Wait, what? (laughs) Did you even shower? She's there to provide a helping hand whenever you need it. Mom, set a timer for 40 minutes. Mom? The mom personal assistant won't function until you say the magic word. Oh, right. Mom, please set a timer for 40 minutes. Sure thing, hon, but it's only 30 minutes for that dish. The mom PA is always correct and basically knows everything. Mom, what setting should I use for this laundry?
1: Mom, do you think I should color my hair?
3: Hey, mom, can you please order mac and cheese?
1: You still have two boxes.
3: What? No, we're out. Did you look? Yeah, I just looked, it's gone. Do you want me to look? Uh, No, no, it's okay, I'll go look again. Try looking with your eyes this time. Based on God's perfect design, the mom personal assistant is thoughtful, kind, encouraging, and supportive.
1: You are beautiful. It's
3: okay, you're gonna get through this. I
2: am so proud of you. You can change the world. But right now, hon, you really need to change your socks because they smell like a dumpster.
3: Mom. The mom personal assistant. Always helpful, always reliable, and always there for you.
2: Yeah, that's real, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we all need one of those. Ladies, today, there's no way we could possibly appreciate you enough and thank you enough. And and I know that it's not your first choice, but we really want to take a moment to honor you. Would you please stand so that we can appreciate you this morning? I know you don't want to. Would you do that anyway? Come on. Come up, ladies. Please do. Come on. Please do. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. We couldn't possibly appreciate you enough. And let's be honest, you knew I was going to say that, and you came anyway. So, you know... uh, But seriously, I hope, fellas, uh, families, I hope that you are planning to really take care of her today. Uh, She deserves it. And, you know, you may not be in touch with this, but several times the prophets, the psalmists, Uh, refer to the love of a mother as a reflection of the love of God. Sometimes we get too hung up on the father thing, and it is through our moms that we experience God's love as well. So huge appreciation and thanks to you ladies. And um, by the way, um, you know, we have been trying to make sure every mom today gets a flower. We got some candy for you, and we were at the doors, but there's a lot of you and a few of us. If we missed you in any way, please on your way out, we have a little something for you, and just hope it'll be a small blessing. Um, fellas, if you need me to motivate you, come see me after the message and I'll tell you what I'm doing for Rhonda today and then you'll have to up your game in order to, to get right involved with that for Mother's Day. But it is great to be with you and great to see you. Hey, a um, couple things we want to do before we open God's Word together today and one of those is to just show some huge appreciation to a wonderful team of people who spent the last 48 hours here at the church serving more than 110 kids through our Elevate Kids Camp this week. As you know, most kids camps haven't been able to happen for the last little over a year. They're closed all over the place. We were able to hold one here on the campus over these last 48 hours, and a huge team of people just served their heads off this weekend. You can probably recognize them this morning because they have zombie faces. They look dead tired. Uh, did you notice Pastor Weston's voice nearly completely shot this morning? That's because he spent the last two days serving kids. So can we just appreciate all the kids team that put in so much time over these last couple days? I mean, it's, it's amazing what they are willing to do. And so... Uh, You just want to watch the video, I'll go home if you just want to. It's pretty good stuff, but really, really neat stuff. If you see Pastor Allison, Janae, Tabitha this morning as well, express your appreciation to them. Just knock themselves out. Uh, So huge thanks to the Elevate team. A couple of quick announcements. One is that next Saturday morning, 11 o'clock, that's our ladies' spring tea. It's going to happen here in the sanctuary. All ladies are invited your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, whoever you want to bring. It's a terrific time to get together. Uh, no cost, as always, never is. So, 11 o'clock this Saturday, be aware of that. That'll happen here in the sanctuary. Then, a week from tomorrow is our monthly ladies' fellowship. Sisters of Strength happens on Monday nights. Uh, and so, that's coming up right around the corner. So, be aware of that a week from tomorrow. And then, Two weeks from today, friends, this is our Spring Baptism Sunday, the 23rd of May. And and, and if you've received Jesus as your Savior, but you've never followed Him in baptism, He calls us to do that. And and this is your opportunity if you've never been baptized. We'll be baptizing in all three services that morning. The Lord Himself insisted on being baptized in this way. He calls us to follow Him in it. It is our public confession of faith so i want to invite you if you haven't been baptized to to sign up you can go by the guest center contact the church office grab one of the pastoral staff here at the church and we'd be thrilled to include you on that sunday morning two weeks from today so so make note of that and then the last thing um you often hear me talk about all the things that we are able to do to serve our community because of our generosity and our faithfulness in giving here at mrcc and i just want to share another story of that with you this week Uh, a family in our community not not part of any local church uh, experienced a week ago you may have heard about this in the news but a a terrific tragedy uh, an awful horrible story that ended in the death of a son uh, who's also a father um, just an awful story. And uh, the family had nowhere to turn. Uh, they were neighbors with someone from our church. And that person became aware and, and said, hey, MRCC would would be thrilled to serve you in this season. And so the family came to us and we were able to hold a memorial service on Thursday. And here's here's what I want to get to is uh, in the course of our meeting, they came to the point where they said, like most people do with, you know, little Uh, trepidation uh, well how much is this going to cost us and I said no we, we don't charge to, to do memorials. We serve. We serve our community. Everybody in our church gives so that we can serve. We were able to host that, put on the, the light reception that we were able to do for them. And friends, that touched every member of that family deeply. There were tears in the room. So thank you for your faithfulness that allows moments like that to happen. We're able to just step up and serve in times of need. When we do that we bring glory to our Savior. Amen. Yeah. So so thank you for, for letting us do that. And once in a while I ask you to do this. Take your right hand. You got it? Take your right hand, put it over your left shoulder, and pat yourself on the back. Just a little bit. Uh, No, but seriously, God is glorified in moments like that. So... uh huge thanks uh, uh, for doing that. Grab your Bible if you would this morning, open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's spend some time in God's Word before we go out to, to pour out our love on our moms. 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. We're coming to the end of our journey together through 1 Thessalonians. We're going to finish up next week actually. And this morning we find ourselves in chapter 5 beginning with verse 1. We're going to move down through verse 11. We're also going to jump around a little. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 3 if you want to mark that uh, in your Bible. And as, as we get started, let let me, let me ask, uh, your family has got to be like our family in that you have certain kind of family stories that live on and on forever. You know, the, the time when, you know, somebody fell into a, a bucket of mud. I don't know, whatever it is, family so We have family stories like that. I'm sure you do as well. I, I think of the time when Isaiah was just an infant, and uh, we came back from a hiking trip, Ron and I did, and, and I took him, he was in my backpack, I took him off and set him on the bed, and for some reason, it was the first time in his little life, he started giggling uncontrollably. I don't know what it was that made him laugh, but it was so funny and so contagious that pretty soon we're laughing, and that makes him laugh, and all three of us are having this uncontrollable laugh fit in the bedroom. 20 minutes later, with our stomachs hurting, he finally stopped laughing, and it lives in our family. We never forget it. Or or there's the time at Thanksgiving dinner when Rhonda, she's teaching kids' church right now, but when Rhonda was putting together Thanksgiving dinner like she always does, does a fantastic job, but this year she was trying a new mashed potato recipe, and it didn't work, all right? Those potatoes came out with the consistency, the exact consistency of Elmer's glue. (laughs) And as a result of that Thanksgiving, which was probably 15 years ago, Every year everybody asks Rhonda if we're having glue for Thanksgiving. It just lives, it goes on and on and on like you've got family stories like that. Uh, l- let me share one from our extended family that illustrates what we're going to be talking about this morning. And it's a story about Rhonda's cousin Jeff. Now I have to tell you a little bit about Jeff. He's a red-haired guy. He always has a big grin on his face. He has the soul of a poet. He uh, just has kind of that tenderness, that sensitivity about him. When you're around him, it becomes immediately obvious. And uh, Jeff had gone to the East Coast to live for a couple of years. Our our family grew up in Oregon. He had moved from Oregon over to the East Coast. And, And for a few years, he had lived over there. And while he was there... Uh, this poet-hearted man developed a, a kind of a habit of frequently going very early in the morning down to the ocean and sitting there in the dark and watching the sunrise over the ocean. That was something he took great joy in. and. Uh, came to really uh, treat as kind of a, a discipline a habit in his life, well, after a couple of years on the East Coast, he moved back to the west coast and he flew in on a Friday, and uh, we were actually going to have an extended family get together that weekend and and so he got up very early the next morning and thought to himself i 'm going to drive to the coast and watch the sunrise <laughs> so he did he got up super early drove all the way to the Oregon coast found a beautiful spot on the dark in the dark sat on a rock there on the beach and waited for the glory of the sunrise well you know what happened don't you is it started to get a little bit light and his anticipation started to rise and then it got lighter and then it got lighter and then it got lighter and pretty soon jeff remembered that the sun rises over the Atlantic seaboard, but it sets in the Pacific seaboard. And he came back, and to his credit, told us all the story of sitting on the beach waiting for the sun to rise, when in fact it was coming up behind him. I tell that story, and we won't let him live it down, by the way. Credit to him for sharing it. But um, I tell that story for this reason. Anticipation, whatever we're anticipating, whatever you're anticipating, has enormous influence in your life. Whatever you are looking forward to, whatever you are expecting, whatever you think is coming has great power and influence in your life. What is it that you're anticipating perhaps this morning or in this season of your life? Whatever we're anticipating has great power in our lives. Mother's Day is a little bit of an illustration of that, right ladies? There comes a moment where, where you, you know that you're going to be a mom, you're pregnant, and then that begins this long season of anticipation that finally culminates in the arrival of a, a daughter or a son. And you live those months in anticipation of that moment for more reasons than one. You look forward to it and it governs what you do in the meantime. You eat differently, you drink differently, you think differently. You work differently. You, you, are, you are affected by that anticipation. Here's why I call our attention to that. The power of anticipation is what the Apostle Paul understands when he's writing to the church at Thessalonica in this passage. He is inviting them to live in anticipation of something very specific because he knows that our anticipation of that reality will have a profound effect on our lives in the meantime, on what we do, on what we choose not to do, on how we think, on how we feel on how we perceive the world around us, he knows that that reality is intense and influential in our lives. And so he calls our attention to it in some very specific ways. Let's listen to what he writes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. We'll go down through verse 11, but we're just going to go through the first four here, and then we'll move through the rest as we go. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Now, brothers, about times and dates... We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come. It will be unexpected. It will be a surprise when it happens. People will not be able to know exactly when it's going to happen, although it is going to happen. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety... Destruction will come on them, on many. And it will come suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they, many, will not escape that destruction that's to come. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, you live with an anticipation of that reality not only because the judgment that is coming won't be poured out on you because Christ is your Savior, but also you live in anticipation of that. And so you are not overwhelmed by the waywardness and the wickedness of the world around us. You rest in anticipation of the coming of the day of the Lord. Let's let's take a moment to digest that. Last week, Paul called attention to the fact that the return of Jesus is an absolute reality. He is going to come back with a trumpet call, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. Last week, we heard that that the dead are going to be called out of their graves. There's going to be a resurrection of, of every human being, and that we're to encourage one another with that reality. Now, Paul says, encourage one another by living in anticipation of it particularly the fact that all the stuff, the junk we read in the news about all the bad stuff that's going on, all of that is going to come to an end. Jesus is going to put an end to it. And not only is he going to put an end to it, he's going to undo all the consequences of that wickedness, even unto the dead rising again. Listen to the Lord's own words on this subject in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is speaking, he said this. He said, The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations on earth will mourn. The idea is that all the wicked nations on earth will mourn. For they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect, his people from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. The Son of Man will return in power and in judgment to put right the wrongs of our world. Somebody say amen. It's not going to go on forever. Paul says, I want you, God wants you, your father wants you to live in anticipation of that moment. After coming in in humility and offering grace to anyone willing to receive it, like Jesus does in the whole Christmas story in the Gospels, he comes gently and meekly and quietly This time he comes in power and in glory to put right a wicked and wayward world, to put an end to all the evil that people do. Paul wants us to look forward to that. He wants us to live in anticipation of it. And there's a host of reasons why. We're going to touch on a few of them this morning. But when we're anticipating something like that, it causes us to live differently in the meantime. It helps us to keep our eyes fixed and focused on what is eternal, not just what's in the news. And God wants that for his people. Our Father wants that for us. He wants us to live in anticipation, for example, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, of the moment when we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every human being, doesn't matter how great they are, doesn't matter how small they are, it doesn't matter how secret their deeds are. It doesn't matter how public their deeds are. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 14, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Dang, that moment is coming. Sometimes we read the news and we despair that so much wrong is happening and so many seem to be getting away with it. God says it's not going to be that way ultimately. And I want you, as my sons and daughters, to live in anticipation of that reality. Because when we do, it makes us unafraid of wickedness in the meantime. You know, the Bible says that because of the increase of wickedness in our world in the end times, the love of most will grow cold. Think about that for a moment. Our attention will be so captured by all the stuff that's happening in the news that we will, our love for God will recede into the background because that stuff captures our attention so much. God says, no, no, I want you to realize that I'm going to undo this stuff, that when I come in judgment, this stuff will be ended and reversed. It's like I used to tell our our son when he was a teenager all the time, hey, son, in the end, nobody gets away with anything. You don't have to worry about it. It's like the prophet Isaiah tells us in chapter 9, verse 6, hey, gang, this is good news. At the end of the story, the government will be upon his shoulders. (laughs) He'll be the one running the show whatever happens in elections or power plays in the meantime doesn't matter because at the end of the story the king of kings and lord of lords holds the throne we're meant to anticipate that we're meant to look forward to that we're meant to rest in the fact that his judgment will be more perfect and complete than yours and mine could ever be sometimes we think we know what should happen god does know what should happen and it will And we're meant to look forward to that. When we know judgment is coming, when we know that God will have the last word, when we focus our thoughts, our hearts on the return of Christ, it changes how we live in the meantime. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Uh, for years, Ron and I uh, lived in northern Idaho. We lived in Moscow for a time, corlane for a time, Pastor churches there. And as a result of that, I, I was often, when we were in Moscow, I was often running back and forth to Seattle. I, I would come for network business. I would come for family business. I would run back and forth sometimes for our own personal business. And, and so I got to know Highway 26 really well. It, it runs from Moscow and Pullman through the Palouse, through eastern Washington, and then connects to I-90, their advantage this winding two-lane road that goes through uh, eastern Washington, through the farms, through the fields. And it is known as maybe the most dangerous highway in Washington. Here's why. Because on the moscow Pullman end of it, you've got two major universities full of young people who don't always drive safely or drive well. As a consequence, Highway 26 every year costs the lives of usually at least two three four students over the course of a school year when you live in those communities you become aware of it you know that every year some students are going to lose their lives whether they're going home at christmas and drinking and driving whether they're just being reckless highway 26 can be a dangerous highway I was driving it all the time, and I would see this kind of behavior sometimes. I would see people driving recklessly. One time, I was coming back from Seattle. I'm in my 66 Chevy pickup. I used to have vintage trucks all the time, and, you know, it's got this little straight six, 250 engine. I can make 80 miles an hour downhill with a tailwind, you know, on a good day. And I'm coming across the the Palouse there, and I'm driving. I look in my rearview mirror, and here comes this coal-black, gorgeous Porsche at least doing 100 miles an hour, if not significantly more. And I can tell because they're weaving in and out of traffic, passing everybody in the wrong lane, going even over on the shoulder to pass people. Cloud of dust coming right up my rearview mirror, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, that's a tragedy waiting to happen. And before I can really even process it, they pass me, but they pass me on the shoulder because there was a car in the incoming lane and just roared right by. And I remember thinking, wow, that could have been awful remember catching a glimpse of the three young men laughing in the car and thinking they don't know what they're doing. And then I had my little human revenge fantasy, right fellas? I imagined that I had a turbo drive in my giant steel pickup and I could push the button and catch up to them and, you know, bring justice. Of course I couldn't and I wouldn't. I didn't have a prayer of catching them. but I thought to myself, you know what? We're only about 25 miles from what is the Buckley, Washington of Central Washington, Colfax. Those guys are just waiting to catch somebody speeding. I thought to myself, I bet they get caught. About 20 miles later, I come around a corner, and there's that gorgeous black Porsche, and it's not moving at all. (laughs) It's parked by the side of the road. There's four police cars there. There's three young men standing next to it with their hands cuffed behind their backs. And as I passed by, I caught the eye of one of them, and I waved. <laughs> How you doing? And I drove on from there with a smile on my face. Now, here's the point of the story. When you know judgment is coming, it doesn't freak you out in the meantime. You're able to rest in it. And, and God wants you and I to do that with what's going on in our world around us. He wants us to recognize that his return is inevitable. When you're confident of God's judgment, you feel different about what happens in the meantime. And so you live better in the meantime. Gang, Jesus didn't spend one moment of his earthly life afraid of what Rome might do, afraid of what Israel's government might do, afraid of what Syria or Egypt or anybody else would do. He knew that the kingdom of God was his business. And his heart and mind were fixed on it. God wants you to feel like that, to feel the freedom of knowing that judgment is inevitable so that you don't get caught up in the meantime. God says, vengeance is mine, not yours. It's mine. And you can rest in it, Greg. I want you to rest in it. I want you to anticipate that. And that's Paul's heart for the Thessalonians in this moment. Some people make the silly assumption that because judgment hasn't happened yet, it won't happen. But but that's foolish. Second Peter chapter 3, God says to us, to anyone willing to listen, He says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they'll say, where is this judgment? Where is this coming? It hasn't happened yet. It's been promised, but it hasn't happened. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And they reason that since it hasn't happened yet, it won't. Paul says, hey, Jesus promised it'll happen everything Jesus said he did and he will complete this word as well he says do not forget this one thing uh, dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years a thousand years like the day the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise as some think of slowness he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief or as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 like a thief in the night and it's not only the fact of Judgment Day that Paul is thinking of, it's also the tendency of some of us to obsess over exactly when. This is, why Paul, uh, this is what Paul is referring to when he speaks of times and dates in the day of the Lord. He says, I don't have to write to you about this to, because you know I taught you, I passed on to you what Jesus taught us, which is that his coming will be sudden and unexpected. Nobody will be able to pin it down, predict it, and know the time or day. Jesus was explicit about that. Christians have a long history of going off the deep end on this stuff. You know, whether it's four blood moons, whether it's Y2K, whether it's, you know, the the, the promise of, uh, you know, the Mayan calendar, whether it's 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988 or 89 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1989. We could go on and on and on about this stuff, what China or Russia is doing. Stop it. Jesus says, no, you know better. I don't have to write you about this because I taught you about this. Jesus' coming will be sudden and unexpected. It will be a surprise. As soon as somebody tells you that they have it figured out, you know you're dealing with somebody you should not listen to. The Lord was strong about this. He said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but they're really wolves and incredibly dangerous. Why? Because when you begin to anticipate what they say instead of what God says, that also affects how you live, how you think, how you feel in the meantime. Look, friends, Jesus was so explicit about this. Listen to what he said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, the Lord's own words. He says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, Only the Father knows when that moment is going to happen. So the next time somebody tells you that they've figured it out, you know by definition that is a person not to listen to. That is a person you should not allow to have any influence in your life. Jesus could not make it more explicit. Not the angels in heaven, nor even the Son himself, but only the Father knows when that return is coming. As your pastor, I am begging you to stay away from knuckleheads who say they know. Don't listen. God says not to listen. I'm going to date myself. I'm going to lower your opinion of me thoroughly by quoting a, a Christian rock band from the 1980s called Whiteheart. You ready for this? They spoke on this issue, and here's what they said. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, that's not the question for me. No matter what comes, I'm going to follow the keeper of all eternity. Yeah, that's what God is, that's what Paul is concerned for the Thessalonians to experience, to live inside of the anticipation that judgment is coming alongside the awareness that nobody will ever know exactly. Don't let someone have influence in your life by pretending they know because they don't. But when we're aware that judgment is coming, let's be honest, it helps us. We, we often do better. We make better choices. We think more clearly. We feel with more restraint and self-control when we know that there are consequences for actions. We need that kind of help. That's why we're to anticipate the judgment, the second coming. That's why Moses said to Israel in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, the fear of the Lord will be with you to keep you from sinning. He didn't say it as a threat, but as a reminder to anticipate that that judgment is coming and we can rest in it you know talking about car accidents if you've ever had a near miss if you've ever been driving and had one of those near misses where it could have turned out really bad but you missed each other by a tiny bit and you know you get that shaky trembly feeling afterwards and you put both hands on the wheel after that and you fasten your seat belt, and you look both ways all the time your behavior changes because you realize what's real In the same way, Paul is saying, God is saying to us, hey, live in that anticipation. Rest in it. And and, and that's also part of what he's talking about in the next few verses, verses 5 through 11. We are meant to anticipate, but not to obsess. And there's a beautiful point about grace in this passage that I want to pull out for you as we move to a conclusion this morning. Beginning with verse 5, Paul goes on to say this. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day having received jesus as your savior you have been born again now you are sons of the light and sons of the day we don't belong to the night or the darkness so then let us not live like let us not be like others who are asleep but let us be alert and self-controlled putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet what does it mean to be asleep talk about that in just a second for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, catch this, whether we are awake or asleep, what does that mean? We'll, we'll find out in a second. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. There's two thoughts here. The first one is very clear and very simple. Don't be a drunk who sleeps their way through life as his judgment isn't happening. Uh, listen, friends, drunkenness is never God's will for us. It's not just sometimes God's will when we go to Vegas or when we get together with the family on New Year's Eve or when we celebrate a 21st birthday. God gives us a special pass on drunkenness. No, he doesn't. It is never his will for you and me to be intoxicated. The scripture says, Romans chapter 13, verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Not in dissensions and jealousy he said no instead live as children of the light children of the day but the deeper meaning here is notice the contrast Paul draws between awake or asleep he says let us not be asleep let us live as people who are awake because we belong to the day it's easy to to misunderstand what's happening here Uh, look again at verse 10 he died for us so that catch this Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. What does he mean? Well, the the phrases awake or asleep in Jewish tradition in those days referred to a moral righteousness or lack thereof. The idea being sleeping drunks are living an unrighteous lifestyle. Awake and alert people are living a righteous lifestyle. So the connotation is that when you're awake, you're living righteously. When you're asleep, in this sense, you are living immorally. But notice what Paul says. He says, you, whether awake or asleep, will live together with God in Christ. Church, the meaning is explicit. What Jesus is saying is that God's grace covers your asleepness. God's grace covers your failures. You are meant to trust in God's grace as you anticipate that judgment because you have received Jesus as your Savior. His grace covers over your asleepness, your failures. Let me flesh this out with a word picture. Let's say that you get caught up in some lying and cheating in your business, and as a consequence, you're sentenced to jail. You're going to go to prison for a season. But before you get there... You are pardoned by the governor because he or she believes you're sorry and and that you, uh, you know, can be set free from those circumstances. Now, once you receive that pardon, here's the reality. You're technically still guilty. (laughs) You still did it. You haven't ceased to become a liar or cheater. You've been pardoned for it. You have been set free from the consequences of your actions by an act of sheer grace. That's what Paul's referring to in this moment. Now, you could, if that had happened to you, you could self-obsess for the rest of your life and, and treat yourself and try to punish yourself as still being guilty, or you could receive the grace you've been given and as a consequence choose to live a different life. That's what Paul is calling our attention to. He says, you, whether awake or asleep, we live together with Christ when that judgment comes. Maybe there's no better picture of this than Judas. Judas betrays Jesus, then despairs and commits suicide. Peter betrays Jesus and then goes back humbled and broken and is remade into one of the leaders of God's church. Friends, that's the idea. That's the thought here. When Paul speaks of awake, asleep, he means this. Even if you've failed many times, Jesus has given you his grace and you are saved from judgment, whether awake or asleep. But let that change you so that you live as a son of the light or a son of the day. All right, let's finish this passage here. Paul is calling the Thessalonians to remember that the Jesus who took our sins upon him is coming back personally and to live like it. And he says, verse 8, "...but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet." Let's unpack that and we'll be done this morning. There's three thoughts here. The first one is that faith and love are a breastplate, meaning that they guard your emotional life, your spiritual life. And what Paul is referring to specifically is faith in God's love. He says, put on your confidence in God's love like a breastplate over your spirit, over your soul, over your emotional life. Put your confidence in his love because of what Christ has revealed to you. Put that on to protect your heart. You know, I remember when we would go camping and Isaiah was just a boy and uh, he would always bring friends with him and we'd get to the river there in Idaho that we always went to. And one of the first things I would do every single time, one of the first things Isaiah would want me to do is pick him up, spin him around a few times and huck him in the river. Just give him a giant throw. He was begging for it. He was looking forward to it. And when I did it, he was all grins and giggles. His friend at that point was usually terrified. (laughs) Oh, and I'd say, you want me to throw you in? Nope, nope, I don't want you to throw me in. But then Isaiah would swim out and go, do it again, Dad! And I'd throw him in again. And over the course of that week, the friend would get to the point where he wanted me to throw him all uh, uh, as well. And sometimes we'd spend the afternoons me hucking kids in the river, which isn't a bad way to spend a summer afternoon, you know. <laughs> but they loved it. Now, why were they comfortable letting me throw them? Because their confidence was in my love. Isaiah's confidence was in his dad's love. God says, you have that confidence. Put it on like a breastplate over your heart. And then second, he says, let the hope of salvation put it on as a helmet. In other words, put it on over your mind, over your thoughts. Never fear that Jesus' work for you on the cross is insufficient to your sin. Never fear that. What he did on the cross is perfect and lasts forever. It achieves that in your life forever. When you receive him as your savior, you put on salvation as a helmet. Again, an illustration, when Ron and I were young married, Rhonda was just a tiny little 20-year-old. She weighed about 102 pounds, little tiny, and I was pretty much the way I am now. And, and sometimes we'd be together with friends, and, and she would, like I'm on the beach, at the park, or whatever, and suddenly I'd say, hey, you guys want to see Rhonda piggyback me? And they'd look at me like, you're not going to do that, are you? And I'd run over and I'd jump on her like a piggyback. People were like, ah! But I knew how strong she was. And she enjoyed showing off how strong she was. And so she'd catch me like that, and then she'd waddle around with me on her back like she pretty much does for most of her life. And people would go, wow, look at that. But in that moment, you guys, I had no doubt of her strength. When I jumped, I knew. I knew. We've done it many times. I knew she had. God says in the same way, put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. What Christ has done for you is a finished work. Look forward to judgment knowing that because you've received Jesus as your Savior, that judgment isn't on you, it's for you. And then finally, the last thing. Paul twice mentions in this passage self-control. He says, put on self-control. Let yourself be self-controlled. And here's where we finish today. Church, you and I must understand that self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. It is a gift that God gives by His Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible describes the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness. And the last one is... Is self control. It is through the Spirit of God that self control flows into your life and mind. And self control is a precious thing. Few things are as precious. If you don't think so, ask a drug addict. Ask someone whose temper or fear rules them. Ask someone whose sexuality drives them to pornography or to abusing themselves or others. Ask any mom or dad or friend or neighbor who desperately wishes they could take back something they said. Self-control is a gift, and it flows from the Spirit of God. If you're looking for self-control, understand this. It comes from God. It comes from God when you receive His Son as your Savior. And self-control is the thing that allows us to enjoy our appetites, instead of allowing our appetites to destroy us. In the absence of self-control, our appetites have the potential to turn us into slaves, to make us beholden to things we don't want to be beholden to, to the sins that destroy the heart and mind and body and soul. But God gives self-control in Christ. To anybody willing to receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives Self-control teaches the gift of self-control. I want to finish with a story. It's a little challenging. It's a little vivid. But it's a picture of what we're talking about. Um, Billy Graham for years told the story of how us Eskimos in the upper reaches of Canada and Alaska, how Eskimos hunt dangerous wolves. Now, if you live in the tundra, if you live out in that part of the world, it's not like you're going to track a wolf down. They know you're coming long before you get there. And when you've got a wolf that's poaching the flock or even attacking people, a threat to the tribe or the family, and you've got to do something about it, and you don't have firearms, it's a real challenge. But the Eskimos developed a method of dealing with those wolves. What they would do is they would take a big buck knife, and they would coat that knife with elk's blood and then freeze it. Then they would take it out, coat it again, freeze it again, coat it again, freeze it again until the knife was was covered with layers of elk's blood. Then they'd take the knife, find an open spot in the tundra where they knew the wolf was in the area, and they would bury it in the ground, hilt down, so they'd dig a hole, pour water in it, put the knife in it, let it freeze so that the blade was sticking up. A wolf, its power to smell is incredible. A wolf can smell blood like the blood of the elk up to two miles away. And so inevitably what would happen is that wolf would smell the blood, come to the knife, and begin to lick the blood on the knife. Well, the knife was sharp. What would happen when they licked was that their tongue would become increasingly lacerated, releasing more blood, which would drive the wolf into a frenzy, and its own appetite would kill it. God said he doesn't want that for us. God says he wants to give us the gift of self-control that lets us rise above our appetites. And that happens when you receive Jesus as your Savior. That's a gift that comes from God. So let's close this morning. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And and let me ask you if you're feeling your lack of self-control. If you look around your life and say, wow, stuff's out of control. My tongue, my temper, my sexuality, my greed, my anger, whatever it is. But Father God says this morning, I want to teach you self-control. I want to give you the gift of self-control. And that happens when you surrender to my son as your Lord, as your Savior. If as you sit here this morning, you... Recognize that you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You can in this moment. You can say to a living God and he will hear you right here and right now. God, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to come in and give me new life. Teach me self-control. Deliver me from the judgment that's coming. If that's you this morning, you can do it. God can hear you. Just tell him. Say, God, I, I need your forgiveness. I receive your Son as my Savior. And in this moment, that'll happen for you. Maybe you did that a long time ago, but you've stopped anticipating his judgment like Paul talks about here. And so you've gotten all caught up in the news and what's happening here and there and the other place, and it's weighing down your heart. God says, I want you to look ahead. I want you to remember that I have promised to return and judge, and I want you to rest in that. I want you to anticipate that so that you can live like my son, even in the midst of all this turmoil. God wants to do that for you this morning. It happens as you turn your attention to his return. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, send us out into this world free to celebrate Mother's Day because we know that what's in the news will not be the last word, that you will bring your judgment and that we can rest in it. Teach us to anticipate that, God, that we might live godly lives here and now. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you have a minute just to say to Allison or Tabitha or Janae, thanks for all the work on Elevate or to all of the volunteers especially, please be sure and do that. Fellas, kids, Today's time for your A game for mom. So go out and give it. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon. Happy Mother's Day.